hear about one of the prominent letters that Harambam wrote, answered to a question from a very famous personality known as Obad Yahager. Yahager was a convert from Islam to Judaism, which is very rare in those days. And of course, whatever you write to a convert, which was subject to capital, Obad Yahager, very famous. And what's, of course, interesting over here is that you have to be very careful what you write because that's subject to the death penalty. Whether you were in Christian Europe or in Islamic Eastern part of the world, you convert to Judaism, you're really playing with your life. And depending upon the time and circumstances and, play, and the rules of the Sultan, you could be playing with your life. One does not change religions very easily in the, ancient, in the medieval world. Exactly. Because that's a threat to them. It's an insult to them. Very, very much so. All the more so in Christianity and Islam. Interesting is the question, what was the Jewish perspective on that? Namely, let's say in Israel, if a person decides to convert from Judaism to Christianity to Islam, what would be our perspective on that? We would say, he's still a Jew. No matter what, the person still sinned, but he's still a Jewish person. We wouldn't subject the person to ca- that person to capital punishment either. We wouldn't say the person deserves to die unless perhaps you became a pagan. If you became a pagan in Abu Dazarah, that might be a different category. But in the other religions, if you were convicted of the crime of Judaizing, either if you're a Jew becoming a Christian or whatever the case, trying to get convert Christians into Judaism, or a Christian became a Jew, Judaizing was a capital crime, as was in Islam as well. But depending upon the situation, circumstances, sometimes let you get away with it. Here we have what Ovidiah <coughs> writes a letter to Harambam, raising a side question whether or not Islam is pagan. He had his rabbi in Europe who said Islam is pagan, and he gave number of examples why Islam is pagan. It's obvious that it's pagan. And Harambam receives a letter, and of course one can evaluate why he responds in this way, but Islam is not pagan as well, even though they engage in pagan activities, which we had read last week, throwing stones and doing various items to the idolatry, it's only an ancient kind of old they would do that. Islam, Islam, of course, we know the history of Islam in Saudi Arabia, Muhammad went from Mecca to Medina in 622 after the Common Era. Now, who did he do over there? What did he do when he went to Mecca to Yathrab? It was Yathrab at first when he became Medina. What did he do over there? He took Bedouins, pagans, and said, I want you to be followers of Islam, of Hashem, of God. And they accepted it, didn't know what it really meant. And vestiges of that kind of religion still apparently remain, amazingly so, we didn't know this before reading this source, 500 years later. There still were Arabs who were followers of Islam, yet still engaged in pagan forms of worship. What's interesting because this brings to light, Hanamara's point of view is that what's in your heart is what counts, not what you do physically and practically. Even if you engage in a pagan practice, because you are still in your heart serving God, then you are no longer a pagan. Yeah, please. Would it not follow suit that if he did not believe this, then in turn his view on Korbanot would be kind of hypocritical seeing that the Jews... Start over again. If Rambam did not believe this? Right. If he about, is, about, about Islam. Oh, about Islam. Okay, in interesting. Turn, what happened in Judaism in relative to Korbanot would also hold true that Judaism was pagan to some extent. You're saying that we actually got Korbanot from the pagans? Right. Rambam holds the same thing. He holds that it was a, it was a common ritual in the world as an accepted, a universal accepted uh, way of worshiping, pr- God. worshiping God. Right. And in turn, it was only taken as a ritual, even though the beliefs were monotheistic. Um, the fact that it was pagan 
at one point it doesn't mean that it was not service of one God. The Ramban's critique of the Rambam on this issue is that prior to paganism, meaning Noah, Cain and Hebel, Noah, who, did, who brought Kormat to Hashem, and that therefore it's, it's a necessary divine form of worship but of Hashem. Ramban's not hold that. Ramban's not hold that. According to Ramban, I would agree with you. Right. To Ramban, he says, no, there's no intrinsic value in the Korban itself. Okay. It's just, it was... It was it's, not, it's not all that clear. You say that a little bit too glibly, not taking into account his statement in the Torah, it's post in the where he does see a ta'ala mitzvah, he says it is very intrinsically necessary, mm-hmm. and people will um, eventually always do korbanot. So one has to try to reconcile the Rambam and the Torah and the Rambam and the and it's not that simple to reconcile. Although I would probably like to believe that the Rambam and the is a truer belief, and the Rambam and Torah is simply a statement where he talks about this. At the end, I think it's a chot to a tirumot, where I think it talks about in this volume. But I would. Do you see the relationship that I'm trying to make? Yeah, between yeah. Throwing stones at a, an idol. Right. Even though so the Rambam, not doing it for good. So your point correct. So the Rambam's, of course, we agree that the Rambam really believes in this statement. What he's saying over here, I think we all could accept that. Rabbeinu Abraham, his Rambam's son, has a very bit to do about the adoption of foreign practices into your religion. Rabbeinu Abraham, in fact, as we think we discussed once before adopted certain practice in the Sufi mystics? That's an interesting question. Such as bowing excessively in prayer, two o'clock in the morning, vigils, crying excessively in prayer, tremendous amounts of ablutions, of washing of hands. And many have said that Rabbi Abraham received all of these from the Sufis because it was an intense form of piety that he was seeking and they, in fact, had it. As opposed to Jews in those days, which was Masrama Dumada. So, and he defends himself by saying that there are many things that we've adopted that what well, pagans do that we do that we don't stop because they do it. So what he's arguing is that what I'm doing is intrinsically Jewish. Nothing wrong with washing his bounds and all that. And yet I'm taking it to an excess. That's okay. And they've copied it from us and it's not a problem. So the issue regarding Korbanot, I don't know what Abin Avram would say about Korbanot. It's an important question. His commentary doesn't go that far so we don't really know. Will you hold from the Ramah's view in Mishnah Bukhim or Mishnah Torah is an interesting question. But nevertheless, there is a line beyond which the Halakha does go with, which you cannot adopt a pagan practice. Halakhically, if there is something that's clear-cut a pagan practice, and Abinu Ram defends it, says, I'm not doing anything pagan really, and you want to adopt it into Judaism, you'd have a problem with the Pasuk of Kotem Lo Telecho. You cannot follow pagan practice. So, the Rambam has the job now of trying to reconcile his position in Morena Bukhim, which is not all that clear anyway, but yes, with that Pasuk. What does that Pasuk really mean? Do not follow their religious rites. Of course, Hasidim have taken that a step further and say anything that is of the Gentile world you cannot invite yourself to do, such as even wearing a tie. A tie they would view as a Hokota Goyim, you can't do it. The more normative understanding, they don't, many Hasidim do not wear ties for that reason. The more normative understanding of that Pasuk is that religious rites you cannot do. Such as Hakafat you can't shave your head in any way that's distinctively Gentile. Or take a Gentile haircut. If it's normative, we all do it, no problem. But if it's specifically Gentile, you cannot do that either. Wearing certain clothes that they wear specifically. So there's a major discussion as to what that Pasuk means and how far it applies. 
Certainly people would apply to non-Jewish Gentile rites. How the Rambam gets around that in regarding Korbanot is a very important question. And it's not a simple question. But nevertheless, you're probably correct in thinking of your position that the Rambam, though he would... Because it says over here, and it corresponds to other places in his Shatura, that if a person engages in a quasi right that involves non-Jews, Gentiles, you'd still be okay as long as your Kavanah is a Shemayim. But I have to qualify the same way using the word quasi, because if it's an absolute pagan right, he would not want you to be doing it. And that probably most people agree, that you cannot adopt a pagan right into Judaism. Ms. Behort, Rabbi Abraham, gives a whole list, we do all these things that they took from us. And because they do, we don't stop doing it. And I'm only doing what is normative Judaism, is what he says. That's certainly open to question. Nevertheless, one has to always place your statement in the context of the Pasuk. So I would say it as clearly as you're saying it. But yes, the Rambam over here would say, and it also has the hint of this in the Gemara, which he quotes in Hedrin, that Rabbi Ishmael says, if you're going to bow down to a idol, do so privately, as long as you're Kavanah Hashem Shemayim. As opposed to the other position, which is three cardinal sins, die rather than commit them, murder, incest, and idolatry, the Bishma'el says, no, no, don't be so fanatic about this issue. Don't mar yourself over idolatry in a private context affecting nobody because we all know you're only bowing down pro forma and really what are you doing? You have your intent is Lashamayim. So I'm going to quote this Gemara over here. So yes, intent, Kavanah, your heartfelt feelings about what you're doing is a very important category for the Rambam, even over and above the external forms of religion. So this person over here the Ishma'alim, though they engage in these forms, saying that it's only a vestige, it's not real, one should therefore ignore it, and still consider the Ibn Ishmael as Unitarians, those who believe in the oneness of God, and therefore it's not paganism, and it's not a horrible situation for one to be from that. Our friend over there, his whole family is still Muslims. Was that an element in this or not is an interesting question. But this does, correctly said, correspond generally to the Rambam's position on this issue. Okay, so we had read the first half of his of his teshuvah, all about Ishmaelim, and though they do certain pagan-like rites, they still definitely not to be viewed as pagan because they will do all of this stuff for ultimate for other reasons. Even if those stones, maybe they want to just shame that Abu Dazarab. But the reason is they're wise people the Pikaham, those Pikeach, the wise people over there, they give another reason, they say that that which we throw stones to is in order to, not because we believe in those stones, in those items, in those idols, it's all Derech B'Zayon Lahem, it's B'Zayon, it's a shame to them, and therefore we throw stones at them, it's a sketch that we're just engaging in. So the Ramam is comfortable with this. Keep in mind, by the way, that we mentioned last week, the Kaaba, which is in Mecca, this black stone is a pagan shrine, well known around which they built a mosque. That's the place where all Muslims fulfill one of the mitzvot, which is to do a hajj, a pilgrimage, to circumambulate that particular pagan shrine. It was a pre-Muhammad, pre-Islamic pagan shrine that's now 1,200-1,300 years old that people still involve themselves in. So there is an element of paganism. We're not unaware of that. Islam is not unaware of that, but rather we still have to say that Islam is not pagan, though the teacher that it is pagan. 
The other thing is saying, the forms are pagan, therefore they're pagans. And he shamed Obadiah the convert. What do you know? How could you say this? And Obadiah the Gil writes this letter to Harambam, A, in terms of the issue of Abdazara, and now the next session which we're up to is how do we evaluate the status of a convert over a Gil? What's the round position on that? Right? Keeping fully in mind that's a letter, a private letter. How do we evaluate the status of a convert for the Rambam? Could be fully in mind that this letter is a private letter, one-on-one to an individual. Does it mean this is the Rambam's general position or not? Is what we have to evaluate. It's a letter, which means it's very true or very not true. It'd be very true because it's his personal opinion. It's not a public issue. A situation. What I write to my friends is my true feelings. On the other hand, it could be only to that person because of the situation that he's living in that he wrote this and doesn't really believe it in a halakha context. So we have to try to see if we could find out what the Ram really feels about a gift. What is he saying? Look at bottom page 727. Even though Jack came late. It was about uh, four years late, but it's okay. We'll give him a copy. Anyway, page membership. Good man. Page 727. That's what they all say. And that which your teacher, your rabbi, had responded to you, inappropriately, he depressed you. He depressed you. He embarrassed you. He called you a fool. Because Abadjadagir did not believe that Islam is pagan. And it's teaching that Islam is pagan. They do all these pagan rites. They go through the forms of paganism. Which again is an interesting historical sidelight that we never would have considered had we not had these sources. Nobody ever considers Islam to be pagan. But this teacher did over here. But they, they utilize pagan forms. So this is, the, this is the question that we have. If you use pagan forms to serve God, what are you doing really? The truth is the question is a much broader one because Christianity also revolves on this issue. Christianity... May, may serve one God through pagan forms. Christmas tree is a pagan form. Resurrection of a deity is a pagan notion. So on Easter they're doing a pagan rite as well. Krishna, which is an, a, Krishna, right, Krishna is a, um, is a Hindu deity who resurrected, three years before Christianity resurrected their deity. Hare Krishna, Krishna is a pagan deity, three years before they come here, who resurrected. So that's where Christianity got it from. Not surprising, no problem with that. So using pagan forms to serve whom are they serving is the key, the key question over here. And a thousand years of halakhic debate revolve around this question. Are Christians pagan or not? Tosafot, Ashkenazic opinion, Me'iri in Provence, say it's not paganism whatsoever. Why not? Because it's called Shituf. Shituf means they say Hashem as partners. Father, son, ghost, partners. But they still serve Hashem. So that's not prohibited to them. So what's the prohibited? Hashem is still supreme. Hashem is still supreme, right. No, no, no. I don't know if Tosafot and it's too prevalent of an opinion. They really didn't believe that a, a Christian is a, big, a biblical pagan. They weren't serving an idol at all. Their view of paganism was that you bow down to the idol, you believe the idol has power. Christians use it as a symbol of their God who really is Hashem. In other words, even Yeshu, according to certain forms of Christianity, is what? Who is he really? He's God made manifest. He's Hashem. He's God. Who came to earth to love us. Their God loves them more than our God loves us. 
Their God is such an app, so in love with them, that what is he willing to do? Commit suicide. <laughs> a little strange. I'm not promoting this. Does, does, does the Rambam have a letter on Christianity? The Rambam talks about Christianity. It's something that, right, yes, we should go through that at a certain point. Not right now. But the Rambam has a few statements of that in the uncensored editions of the Rambam. These are censored editions of the Rambam. The Rambam does, there's an uncensored edition. Uncut. Uncut, right. That one should look at. Because he, he does have an important statement about Christianity and that issue. He is negative about Christianity as opposed to Islam, who is much more positively inclined towards. But it's interesting to keep in mind that the Christian church itself has had a thousand year debate as to what the nature of Yeshua is. And if one, one can pr- approach and present Christianity as a much more rational religion than we're taught, as one which is a beautiful religion, that God loves so much and forgives so much that He's willing to die for your sins. I meant that facetiously. It's a little bit funny to say that God committed suicide. Did you have that famous joke? <laughs> it's also strange. But that's what God does for us. It's an interesting joke. I told you a joke last week that He wasn't here, so I'll tell you a joke again. If, <laughs> if man doesn't believe in himself, Sorry, if man doesn't believe in God, he's said to be an atheist. If God doesn't believe in himself, he's said to lack confidence. <laughs> That's worth repeating, you guys, right? So, it's, my daughter's taking a course in Christianity at Islam, at uh, Columbia as a religion major, and she says it's a beautiful religion. We have, we have all the downsides of it. But to think that God would go so far, he went the extra mile, to become human and commit this act of martyrdom, not resist, in order to save us is an extraordinary act of absolute love. Absolute love. Absurd the way we read it. Wonderful the way they read it. There's a Syrian woman who became a Jew for Christianity, a Jew for Jesus. And I, 75 year, 70 year old woman, she this 10 years ago. I spoke to, yeah, about 65. And I couldn't figure out, we, we had our conversation and why to have our conversation because she has children who are religious Jews who are very distressed by this. And she tries to draw the grandchildren into her sphere. So it causes the whole family to think we can't visit, I can't, visit, I can't leave my kids alone with her, etc. So I spoke to her for about two hours. What was the big issue? What was her big issue? Why did she become a Christian? No. No. You won't ever get this. She committed adultery 40 years earlier, which is about 35 or 40. She needed forgiveness, and Judaism does not forgive absolutely. Whomever she spoke to, rabbinically, was not able to give her the right answer. I wasn't there 35 years ago when she did this act of adultery. But she once was watching her, she described to me, I was moved to tears with it. I mean, it was, she, she described, and she, an average serene woman, I mean, I, you know, whatever. And she said that she, she, in the message watching program on Sunday morning, she described the whole thing to me, and no matter what you did, the person speaking said, God, Yeshua, forgives you. Anything, everything forgives she needed to, psychologically, she needed an element of absolute forgiveness. Now, of course, my line was, we do also. We forgive. Yom Kippur forgives. You repent. If you don't repent. We say, if you don't, you don't repent, we say. Everything, yeah. I mean, I took the position, that it, which is Gemaran Masechet Yomah, that even if you don't repent, Yom Kippur will which we discussed on the Rosh Kippur classes, that even, it's one opinion, the Gemaran, you know, follow the Ramadan, doesn't like that. But yes, if you don't, if you don't have to shuva, this day atones for your sins. So you don't, you don't need this, I told her. 
We forgive absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I could convince her of that. And she was so enamored with this notion of God forgives so, so, so absolutely and so loves me. Does Hashem love me that way? We don't emphasize that notion. We say it twice a day. And all that. Yet it's not a prom, It's not as prominent a theme in our religious popular consciousness and psychology as in Christianity. God loves is an absolute. Bumper stickers, whatever you see. God loves. Yeshu loves. God saves. And again, to commit that great act of dying because He loves us is an absolute. It's not rational. It make sense. If one wants to quote a mythic teaching, mythic, supposed to myth, mythic means it's, an, it's a parable that has great emotional force that carries a true idea that didn't really have but still a true idea. Shagan Eden is mythic. It's a teaching which has fantastically important and powerful ideas. Did it actually happen in that particular way that the Surah describes? Hanabam Part 2, Chapter 30 says, Mashal. It's a parable. Parables convey, as we know, ideas that cannot be verbally expressed. A, the brilliance of Torah is that it can convey in 20 or 30 Pesukim a parable, such a strength that it ongoingly captures the heart and mind of a person. True, assuming it's true, assuming it's not true, it doesn't make a difference. The ideas that shape you are conveyed through this statement, this story, this narrative, parabolic or not. So Christianity could argue, and it has argued, the rashness among them is that this is only a mythic kind of a statement. That God can, obviously cannot die because we're stupid. Can God die? That guy cannot die for our sins. God can't die. God's <laughs> necessarily existent. You read their rational writings, St. Thomas Aquinas and others, especially in the contemporary world, Christianity still has a tremendous amount of drawing power. Why? Not because they believe, some believe, need to believe it literally. Yes. But mainly, and Protestants who don't believe this literally necessarily, will say that the power of that mythic image is so strong that God would die. It didn't really happen, but the mythic image is so strong that I feel absolved. Same way that in the Eucharist, whereas Catholics say that transubstantiation is that that wafer and wine becomes literally the blood <clears throat> and body and flesh of Yeshua, and others say it doesn't really happen. It's only an image symbolic. Good. Those who hold that it's real, it's a very transforming experience. I'm eating God. I don't say that, but that's what they're saying. You're eating the blood and flesh of Yeshu. If you're a good Catholic, you're becoming one. Okay. So it's a very transforming experience. We as Jews, of course, also want transforming experiences. We want people, and we have ritual, we have symbolic issues. <coughs> well, I'm not going to say that. I wouldn't go that far. I don't think we go too much the other way. You, you don't have to enough. We don't have to enough the other. doesn't mean it's exclusive of ritual. Ritual is a very important... Right. Ritual is a very important part of religious practice. So they go take ritual ten steps further than we did. Their pomp and ceremony. Very majestic. Very all-encompassing. Very captivating and capturing. And it works. 1.8 billion Christians are Christians today. Because it works so well. It's 2,000 years later. It's a pretty good staying power. For many, many, many Christians. Of course, one can explain this other ways. They have the power, they have the financial power, they have the church, and all that. But there's a very strong element to it. Nevertheless, the Rambam, again, is a good point as to what he has of Christianity. Islam, of course, he agrees, is a completely monotheistic. Although the Ashkenazim 
poskim, posafot, rashi probably, the me'iri, and all those would say that Christianity is not pagan. Shituf, partnership, not paganism. The Ramam says it is paganism. But okay. Your teacher who shamed you, embarrassed you, called you a fool, avodagalullah biyadur. Great transgression. Hegadur hata. The karol be'inai shoshogekhu v'ra'ui lo levakish b'cha me'achila. It seems to me that he made a mistake. Shogekhu. And ra'ui lo, he should ask forgiveness of you. About pisha tatamidur. Though you're a student. And then, Yitzom, he's fast, he's ok, or he's ak, scream and pray. Yachna ulayt kapelo. Ram is very strong about this issue. Perhaps if there's prayer and his fasting and his screaming in, in repentance, perhaps he will be atoned, forgiven for what he did. Hashem may forgive him. Was he a drunk? Does he know that in 36 places the Torah warns about the convert? The ayeh davar. And where is for him the pasuk? The ger lo toneh. One has no right to use terms of affliction, verbal words of affliction, against a ger. And this is onaat devarim. This is onaat devarim. This is verbal affliction. What he calls you a fool and whatever you know, you know nothing. Of course, in this context, you have to raise the question about al and see that are we not afflicting those Gerat Tzedek? Doraita, Sudoraita, 36 times it says, the Ram says, one cannot afflict the Ger. Now what happens if a Ger Tzedek comes in and reads that and feels disheartened, feels demoralized, gave up his religion, his family, and everything else to become a Jew to follow this wonderful religion called Judaism and yet he says over here, look, how can they say this? It's Sudoraita. He says, hey, Sudoraita, how do you do this? So we will try to rationalize and we will say, one second, this is really... Uh, really we're not saying that you're not a good person we just don't want you in our community we don't want you getting aliyah but really you can be a ger and we try all, every which way to rationalize this but he says no 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 you shamed me you embarrassed me we had a rabbi Rabbi Meyer here of the Shabbat you know so and he was reading it you read it he was reading it so we tried to quickly skirt him away from it because it's a little embarrassing like, don't read that that's just fine print you can't read that it's not important to read because it is somewhat embarrassing and of course we have dozens if not more weddings of Ashkenazim here every single year 30, 40, 50, 60 Ashkenazic weddings some of them I'm sure are converts it's prominently displayed over there people are going to read it and they're going to come away with a sense of what is Judaism what are we all about and if they have a, a little bit of learning they'll say we're doing it the, the proclamation seems to be more okay agreed agreed it happens to be that, for, I guess because of Rabbi Meyer, my daughter asked me the question. This is Friday night. He's reading all that stuff. What would you do if I married a convert who's a get said and religious person? Is, uh, yeah. Legitimate question. Yeah. yeah. She asked me. Could you do the wedding? Could you do the wedding? Yeah, could you do the wedding in our shul? I want to get married in our shul. She gave an example. Guess whose example she gave? If I happen to fall in love with Leo Page, He's a legitimate guy. He's a Shomer Mitzvot kid. He's a wonderful person. He's a great kid and everything else. You know, I started sweating. <laughs> you know, what do you... This is not so far-fetched. I mean, it is. But it's not. 
It's a very difficult issue. It's a very difficult question. Okay. Okay. Correct. Okay. Right. So that's a legitimate question. I mean, based on Robert, what what is obvious about anything in life? It's your daughter. As a man with three daughters, nothing so obvious. What was your answer? I would certainly do the wedding. And even if it meant that I would leave the synagogue as a rabbi, I would definitely leave the synagogue. It's my daughter. And I would do the wedding. No question. On the other hand, I would not do the wedding in the synagogue because I understand the synagogue has its standards and it's not my synagogue. It's the standard. It's community synagogue. Yeah. Although we allow Ashkenazic kids to be married here. But there's a Syrian issue. Okay, I understand that. So I would... Right, so of course, I mean, and if the synagogue said you can't be the rabbi here, then I would feel very comfortable leaving on that ground. I would not deny my daughter me doing her wedding for, from that point of view because that's Pashut to me. Certain things in life are just obvious and black and white. So of course so, I would... In this, in this synagogue? Correct, yeah. I understand that. Marriage. No, right. Oh, no, I understand. So, but I would, of course, do the wedding in that case, but she says, don't worry, Dad, I'd never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, good. Thanks, good. <laughs> 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 you know, um, you know A.B.'s son. Hello, Shalom. A.B.'s son. Hello, Shalom. Sammy's father. His sister's Edna. Married to Norma. Is it, no, this is Edna. Edna. Married to Pinky Pizer. Lives in Boston. Now he's now in Teaneck. His daughter married a Gear Tedic. His daughter, um, Seth Pizer's sister, married a Gear Tedic. He was a librarian at Harvard. Fantastic, wonderful guy from you know southern uh, from out west, a Mormon, converted legitimately to Judaism, a thousand percent convert, and she married him. Lovely, wonderful, sweet, gentle guy. They didn't think twice. He's a great guy. He's, you know, just a... a, a exactly. 36 times don't afflict this person. But the irony over here is that they cannot move to this community. That's that they want to. I mean, they're not involved. They're Bostonians or living in Israel now, whatever the case may be. But that's an amazing conflict, especially where the other brothers... You know, one, Jeremy lives in the Syrian community. Seth lives in Teaneck. The parents moved to Teaneck. You have this story. So the Rambam, obviously, if you're my Maimonidean, the Rambam is now in a, at a ballistic point, literally, in saying to this teacher, you should fast, you should pray, scream out, humble yourself, maybe Hashem would forgive you and atone for your sin for what you said. And he's not even happy with that. Is he drunk? Is he drunk? Does he know that do not, do not afflict verbally the ger? Question, do you think there's a ger that read that and was afflicted by it? Oh, an e- yeah. The answer is yes. Got an email from somebody, a get, I'm a get, I was converted by orthodox, and I resent, and I'm angry, and I want to know how do you, as a rabbi, Eli Bennett showed me this email, but it's on, all over, I guess. How do you answer? 36 places. Don't, I'm ashamed and embarrassed. I live in the area, and I can't come to the synagogue. I will not come to the synagogue. But that's what I says. The interesting point is that when the rabbis established this appropriately, we could argue that, that it was appropriate at the time, and maybe today is still appropriate. We don't want our children with questionable getting. So the question is, how does Kanazim deal with this? So here you have two different schools of thought. So much Kanazim say it's a great Takana. We should have done it ourselves 50 years ago. It's fantastic. It's great. We wouldn't have had it. Others say, no, it's a suit from the Torah. It's Gilotone and all that stuff. How do you do it? So it really is two schools of thought about that item. So that's and both are legitimate. I understand where both are coming from. But it... Yeah, exactly. 
And what the rabbi says then, it might have been certainly appropriate. Is it still appropriate today? It has to be reevaluated. Maybe yes. Maybe absolutely yes. Maybe absolutely not. It should be thought about openly. There should be positions taken on it. Okay. It happens. You know, and and uh, the other point of that, though, is that the rabbis probably made this takana or accepted it upon themselves because they felt out of control of people who are intermarrying with fallacious gerut. That's the key variable over here. I can't tell Mr. Isaac Shalom's grandson that I won't him to my shul. He, he is married. He married a, a con- converted woman. I don't know how she was converted. He married her. Isaac Shalom's grandson lives in Great Neck, etc., etc. Now, if I don't have the power of the committee and the strength and the backbone and the support of the community to say no to that person and yes to uh, Leo Page's father, whoever else it may be, who was a sincere convert, right, then Tekhanah in place. In every other synagogue, every Ashkenazic rabbi deals with these issues, but he strongly has to say no, his word is final, without any other discussion. But if the rabbis didn't have the power then, and they don't have the power today, this is, this is the correct approach. <clears throat> now also, I think it's more subtle than that, and I said this before, but if you read that very carefully, I believe that that really says we will accept no people who convert for marriage. Now the question is, what does for marriage modify? If it modifies convert, no Jew accepts convert for marriage. That's understood. Does it mean we will not accept no, or does for marriage modify, we will accept no person who converts because he won't not be convert for marriage of a Jewish girl. We will not marry any convert. Is that what it means? We will not marry any convert, no matter how he converts. We will not marry any convert for marriage or anything else. Right. So that's the question. What does it really mean? What did, what did the rabbis mean then? I believe the rabbis were very subtle and very careful. They have this Udurayta over here 36 times. They said, we're not, they said it in a way that you can understand Jack's way and they really intended our way. As such, my way. As such, it's a harmless statement. Nobody accepts a, a Jew's converting for marriage. Of course not. We don't. They, they intended it that way, but really they wanted you to understand it your way. So no kid will ever go out, so we don't have to put in a position where we have to decide whether your convert is sincere or your convert is not sincere. That's what it comes down to. Having of a convert is sincere. Interesting is that one should raise the question. You ask the rabbis that have done conversions. Rabbi Riskin. Rabbi Roth. Are they legit or not? Does it always come down to, and you'll hear all these apocryphal stories, how 20 years later there was a crucifix in the drawer and they converted back and all that. That's nonsense. They, are they sincere or not sincere? Do they really want it or not? Do you really want it? What if this goes through a whole conversion and does it orthodoxly? And really there was marriage in the back of her mind. And then at the end of the day, it doesn't work after three and four years of studying converting and an orthodox rabbi does it. And she goes, what will she do now? The guy says, no, I don't want to marry you. Think it happens? Yes. <laughs> happens, right. We all know cases where it happens. What happens to that person now? Rabbi Roth says... And she was married to someone else altogether now. She may, that's fine. Yeah. But she may really say... She's married, she refers to marrying that particular person now. No, no, my point is that she doesn't... It's once she moved then. My question now is, she converted orthodoxly, mm-hmm. and that yet when the marriage thing... Had the marriage thing worked out, that would have been her... M.O. She would have been a great, wonderful Jewess. But the implications of conversion are so profound and so powerful and painful that 
I really can't do this. I could do it with you if we're going to marry you and that's fine. I can handle it. I will do this. But once you're not on the... Okay, but it's but it Halakha recognizes that. An Orthodox rabbi who marry who converts her is saying, irrespective of what's going on now, I buy this situation. I will buy it. It's fine. That's what the Orthodox rabbi is saying. Or Bamza who converted this woman said sorry? It began as for marriage, but at this point it's no longer for marriage. She really wants to be a Jew, he believes. <clears throat> Why should that be the criteria? No, so that's not my criteria any longer. I'm not saying that's the criteria. Had she stayed married to this guy, it's not on the hook. It was, she is remaining as a loyal, she would have remained as a loyal Jewish, but in fact she's not, she was not a strange. So, halakhically, she's Yisrael Shechata. Halakhically. She sees herself, look, I, I tried, I could not do it alone. So I look at her very compassionately. I understand she couldn't really handle it. Alone. To leave your family, where are you now? Four years you're studying, you really like it, it's really great, and I would do it wonderfully so. But now I'm doing it alone. Now I leave, leave my family, get an apartment, get a kosher home. What do I do now? And I have nobody. And the Jewish community is not so welcoming to me anyway. In general. No, I'm saying so. Therefore, she's going to go back. And I can't blame her for it. But what was the status of the Orthodox rabbi converting her? He really believed she'd be Orthodox. But he had a right to assume that. But now she's not really. So does that does does what she does? Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I agree. That is not even a question. But we never really all the, know that. First of all, converted seventeen with no Jewish guy in mind, but really she just likes the Jewish people. Yeah. Right. But they might be in the back of the mind. I want to marry a Jewish guy. They have money. They're bright. They're this. They're that. So it could be. Right. They don't beat their wives. Everybody, every person tells you that. They're making the break. They made the decision. Even with that in mind. Okay. So I want to marry a Jewish guy. Okay. So there is it is ulterior motives. There's ulterior motives. And who knows? That's the point. You don't really ever know, and that's really the problem with the Syrian rabbis are dealing with. Which, on one hand, we have to respect because they do want to preserve this community. On the other hand, there are Torah does not say that. Torah is telling you risk it. Thirty-six times, risk it, and you can handle it. And we, as a people. For 2,000 years, we were in Galut and a lot of interesting interactions, Jews and non-Jews, and we survived it well. And if we blew a couple of calls, Rabbi Roth will tell you he blew a lot of calls. They really weren't that committed at the end of the day. On the other hand, Rabbi Ruskin, who did a lot of conversions, might not say that. He says, yes, some did revert back, but the majority of whom I converted, and he has much, very strict standards. He lived in my community single for about two years before I even, before I even converted him. To live here as a Jew... I taught a Lakatsko synagogue. I've seen black people and Chinese people all in the synagogue who were not converted. They had to live in that area for two years before I decided that you really can be and want to be really Jewish. Two years. Live there. Okay. Oh boy, that must have really thrown us a loop. Blown away. He added color to the minyan, I guess you're saying. Oh, man. Okay. Very sensitive. So in any case, right. So this man, this rabbi is drunk. 
Then no, 36 places. So I warned you that the Rambam is going overboard over here about his sensitivity to the Ger. The Ger or Tonem. If he had said the truth and you had been mistaken, you the over there again mistaken, he should, this is a beautiful start of the Rambam. In letters you get a perspective, you don't get all the place. He says, even if you were right, even if you were wrong, he should have explained to you the issue, sit you gently, like court, sensitively. Because you can, even more so, you said the truth, the who and he, he's a mistaken person. The Ord, and furthermore, and more than that, this person is seeking out, investigating out about Islam, he should have invented it himself on the anger that he was angry to the point where he was embarrassed against it that was inappropriate. Right? And he was angry. And the rabbi always said, whoever is angry, whoever is angry, you're an idolater. If your anger takes over and you are uncontrolled, the rabbi says, you're an idolater. So the Rambam here, of course, is pointing on this issue. He's investigating idolatry, and guess what? He's the idolater, right, because of his caste. So the Rambam is, you know, being almost cute over here. Whether he's an idolater, of course not, but really what he's saying over here is that this man is off base. This rabbi is off base. Now, no. Jehovah, it's an obligation. An absolute obligation. It's a great obligation we have. Right? That father and mother, it's Davinu, we were commanded to respect and stand awe of. And about the prophets, to us to them. And it's possible, it's possible, that a person could respect and listen to somebody that he doesn't love. You have to respect an IV, you have to respect a parent. You may not love them, you have to respect them and send all of them. Good. However, about Gerim, the Torah commanded us, what? With, to love them with great love. And the Surah Alev, that's given over to the heart. Which is interesting. Do you have any pasuk which tells you to love your parents? And stand in awe of them. Right? Not to love them. So it's an interesting insight. You have to, you're not obligated to love your parents, but respect them. Which is kind of striking. The Gid, however, one is obligated to love with a great love. It's Pasuk says, you must love the Gid. And this is mind-boggling. In the same way that it's commanded us to love God. So I have to love God, I have to love Gidim. And yet respect my parents. And even more striking, the Ramam is over here coming out with guns blazing against this absurd notion of shaming a girl. Didn't you know the background of the letter? Was it a response to another letter? Over Jada Gir, we had read the background. Over Jada Yeah, over Jada Gir. I don't know if you were here when you were there, but you can get on the video if you like. See, let's go to the tape. Who said that? Warner, Wolf, Warner, go to the tape. Right? So he says that. 725. 725, maybe you don't have it. Mm-hmm. We had read this, where the Ovajah is a famous Ger, wrote a famous letter to the Rambam, as we read about Ishmael, 
And he says that you know that my teacher shamed me, embarrassed me. What did I say? I don't know. I thought I thought Islam is monotheistic. It should be okay. My teacher said no. It's a pagan. It's a ritual. This is that. So Raman responded strongly. Where are you writing from? from Europe, from southern Spain. Right. So by southern Spain. So you used to love God, love God, love the game. And he just knew the Rambam. Oh yeah. No, correct. Yeah, as far as we know. Yeah. Hashem himself loves the ger. Pasuk says, which is Pasuk from Devarim. Hashem loves the ger to give him bread and simla. So you should do so as well. And this person, this rabbi, this teacher, who called you a fool, with a great shock. Adam Aviv. And the, the beauty of this letter is seeing the Rambam's compassion and feeling for this person. A man who has left his father, Umur Adator, his father and his mother, and his birthplace, Umachut Amor, and his kingdom of his nation, and their hands are outstretched. In other words, the Muslims are the dominant power. How could this man leave all of that to become a Jew? And he understood with the eye of his heart, and he came and he back and he cleaved the Umazu to our Jewish people. That is good. That is a miserable, despicable nation. Even Muslim, that is a servant to those who, who rules, Islam rules. And we're a servant to them. And this man left all of that. And he was able to recognize and know that their religion, the Jewish religion, is that emet, a true religion, that said it, and justice. And he understood the ways of Israel. And he knew, all their religions, meaning Islam and Christianity, are stolen from their religion. Then or seek this teacher as the Gorea negativizes this person changes the law and he lies about the law and he covers up and shames Hashem and says attributes to Hashem things he never said meaning that he's saying Hashem says that this girl is not a 100% wonderfully beloved person he's calling you a fool he's shaming you doing all that thing and you're attributing it to Hashem no you're absolutely wrong now again, imagine that a girl could say this about us. We are saying that Jewish religion is much more subtle than that. Today people are not much more subtle than that. Just change that. Today people are not, not much more subtle than that. Today people in the circuit think that a person who converts is not Jewish. Repeatedly I have to emphasize that if somebody converts, he is Jewish if he does it properly. He is one thousand Jewish, and no certain rabbi would question that that person is actually Jewish. But don't come community, don't get an aliyah shul, can't buy a seat. Okay, exactly. Nevertheless, that person is Jewish. Syrian community, by and large, on mass, do not make that distinction. But it's a critical distinction. That ged is Syrian rabbi, so is a ged tzedek. No matter how he likes to kick, if he is, he is. We can't live in this community. Can't get an aliyah. No, absolutely not. Yeah, Abraham Carmel, of course. One of the uh, difficult issues, I was approached by the Whale Pond Synagogue. They have a quarter of a million dollar pledge from a man, Syrian man, who married a woman who was a Giyot Tzedek. Could I take the money? 
Money is money. Can you ask me the question? Sorry? No, it's still being discussed. So, of course, I would decide myself, and I'd bring it to the Rabbinical Council of Brooklyn and ask them what they think. Could they take it? And then the next, if we could take the money, I should... They're going to take what he wants to be in the synagogue. He's so, no, sir, you cannot not be in the synagogue. You have a right to be in the synagogue. 1,000% Hamburg told to himself, can't get an Aliyah. He could, he's comfortable with that. No, he married a Giorit. He cannot get an Aliyah. But his children cannot either. The issue is more so, can they name the building? In his, it's a Syrian guy, so it's a Syrian name. I don't know if it's such a problem. Okay, good. If that's honoring a person, you're right. If you call that honoring a person, then you've got to pay the 250 Exactly. Okay, that's the question. That's what you're doing. You're a great guy. <laughs> Therefore, you won't accept the money. Okay, the next one is, let's say he doesn't take... You can't accept money from a Goyim for a synagogue. Why not? Who said? <laughs> I heard. A, a Christian person wants to give money to, uh, to inside the synagogue. So not the we have two gardens from Sun Young Moon and his... <laughs> two gardens. $26,000 a garden. Remember the story of Magazine Zabi, the situation where Christians, Charlie Sweet made friends with Christian people, and then they wanted to pay back because they, whatever, and they wanted to make a donation. They took the money, they had to put it on, they used it for the fence around it because that's all it used the money for. They couldn't use it internally. But that's all, that's, maybe you're right. Well, we, we, we think that corporate money from non Jewish institutions for our synagogue encourages That's right, good point. Well, eventually we'll convert to Judaism anyway, so eventually they'll be okay. But if you give me $100,000, I could overhead, any purpose. So of course I could use that. That's why it doesn't make sense to me. Any money that you get, I'm going to use that money to build a classroom with Asur. So I'm using other money to build a classroom. That money goes to pay the contractor when he... Plaque is different. Okay, so now you're not about taking money, you're about putting a plaque up. That's a different issue. That really comes down to this issue. He may agree, which when it was discussed, it's really a heavy issue, because A, because they need the money desperately, and B, because, you know, and that's why it's almost inappropriate for the, the rabbinical body in Brooklyn. They don't care. You need the money too bad. Tough on you. But they need the money desperately. It's for their shul, etc. And that's presented to the rabbis that way. But he may agree not to have any building named after him. But still in the world, you might argue that case, that if people find out that he gave the big quarter of a million dollars, though they build a name after him, that he gave it, and that's okay. So, does that, does that indicate acceptance of, of converted people, or people who married converted people? And this is a woman who converted, been Jewish, kids raised in Yeshiva, they're in Hillel, and her, her first husband passed away, she remained Jewish for four or five years in between, 100% she made up its thoughts, she, look, it's a tough issue, I'm, I, you know, it's a very, very tough issue. You have no opinion? You think I say it on tape? I was born yesterday. Is an Ashkenazic right? So maybe the should be converted to Ashkenazi youth, and then it can accept the money and then convert back. Look, too many you try to stretch your imagination a bit. I don't know. My opinion is um, it's tough because I fear for them in terms of the financial situation. But I can't sell my religion for money. That's true. 
It's a really tough call. Okay, so you're so you're saying, forget the money. This Abraham is Abraham argues he's going to destroy the, the, the city for and leave. So you're making a stronger argument. You can't do it. You can't punish and, uh, right. Agreed. People who are good. Right. Even agreed. for an overdose, that's money. No, no, it's not the money. Oh no, agreed. Agreed. This is not the issue of the money over here. No. The issue that you're getting hold to begin with. How, how critical is the money? Is it critical for extra oh. marble? Is it critical? No, no, it's critical. That's and that's in the building. building. Building a building. But because there are no righteous people. No, the question is how. No, the question is how you understand. No, how do you understand the ten stopping a ten? So I don't understand ten. I don't see ten. There was ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five. The world that no, I'm not understood. The principle was correct. That if there are righteous people, I will not destroy the whole city. Not them, and not the whole city. But it's not. That was the. Pr- no, no, I don't. No, no, I don't see it that way at all. No, I, after 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10 means I, I, should, I got the point. If there's any righteous, and I was at the point. If there's any righteous people in that city? I won't destroy it at all. The whole city I won't destroy. Yeah. If there were, if there were nine, I would have to eight. If there was one, I would not. Why don't I stop counting at ten? Because they all understood each other. Now we're on the same plane. Hashem will destroy, and Abraham says that you can't, and agreed. That's why I understand that. But your point's very strong, a little bit too strong, unfortunately, because it, it, it's difficult. You're right. Personal. Is that? A, I'm sorry. Personal, my own personal. Well, that's it's not a personal issue. It's, it's, it's same thing with the, with the gift. How many people suffer unnecessarily because of the Yeah, that's a hard story. I mean, it's hard because uh, that's doable and changeable, and can't figure it out. Can't figure that out. Well, Syrian rabbis, Syrian rabbis are not going to change it because they're not, they, don't, they don't deal with these issues. They're not current. That's not their issue. They just want whatever was, will always be. But it is how you interpret like you said before. Interpret what? You can't, you can't marry a person who converts for the sake of marriage. But, oh, that we agree. But, but, no, but some people interpret that you know, it's a person who's already converted way back and then one of the other one. Oh, right. It should be okay. Right, agreed. Some people look at that, they can answer now that, but some don't. I'm sure, ooh, I'm JP, don't. Of course not. Well, because of their daughter and sister, perhaps. No, but who looks at it that way? I mean, I'm surprised to hear that from you. Uh, we spoke about it, of course. The one issue where that is the case was... The one issue, no, that is the case. With Rahamim Aini, a very good friend of mine, and he is a public issue, brought a letter to the Beit Din and said, Look, Hamshi Akosha, well, this is why... The Rizika was much more subtle than we give it credit for. It really took on a life of its own and became a monster, I think, because Ham Yaakov Kassin has a letter, I saw the letter, and says that you married a Gyoda Tzedek, she was clearly converted 17, you married her and she was 30 years old, and your children are religious, she covers her hair, she's a firm lady, and because, he says, because you're not part of the community, really, you can marry her, and you can have a better half of your children, and you can get an Aliyah, no problem. So the rabbis voted on that case, 12 to 1, was the one against it that he's, his daughter can marry it was a guy from the shul originally that this boy can marry this person in the shul and no problems with that so yeah you're right that in this particular case it was clear that it was a gift said that <clears throat> but he had that letter from Ham Shaul so there was no I mean, of course there was no issue right well the question is well the question is what is that what was the input of that letter Good question and good issue. Sorry. What is the impact of that letter? What does it mean? Did it mean in only Rahim Ini's case? We don't know. Or any gay that you're sure is a gay Now, of course, we all marry kids that are converted when they're children. 
adopted children, converted, dozens of them, we do marry them, except there's no problem. Even if the letter was intended for that particular case, in the United States court, even that, that precedent, precedent. 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 Well, he knew something, you know, no, not as legally, but precedent. morally. Precedent. 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 But other rabbis would not accept that. They, they might say, Hamshur could have argued, he didn't argue. He argued that this letter is invalid. Well, he can explain why. No, he didn't say that. Because the issue was, Rahim didn't ask for Goyes for himself. He said, I want my daughter to marry this guy. So it's nothing to do with, he didn't give it the general principle. And he Hamshur wouldn't accept it. I don't know who, why my father passed on it. It's his signature, but it means nothing. I'm against it. He's a, it's an emotional, powerful emotional issue. I mean, he was screaming. I'm not sure I'm screaming his life. He's the gentlest person in the world. But it's a very difficult issue. So the president doesn't make a difference. The question over here is, <clears throat> how do you be more subtle about it? And rather than have this blanket statement, which does hurt a lot of people, to get to have your cake and eat it, which the rabbis then probably did. Which means that Hamim Inis, where the person was already pre pre-converted she got in no problem there are people like that you know uh, Stephen what's his name uh, but, uh, not Stephen that's a crazy story that I don't understand at all <laughs> that's a different issue completely no Stephen is a carrier now gets Aliyot in Park Avenue and I, I don't know why Rabbi Shweki gives an Aliyah maybe because they, she, she thought she was Jewish she was raised Jewish though her mother converted nobody knew that time she didn't know anything know. so after 10 years <coughs> he gives an Aliyah which is an interesting point but the rabbis tried, I think, then to be more subtle about it. And I think they succeeded in many cases until Baalei Batim started screaming and throwing stones. And I think that's really where it broke down when the mass took over the law and absolutized, as it did in the synagogue. I'm not happy that that thing is up. I was very much against it, very insulted, very hurt, and I was thinking of leaving the synagogue for that reason. Because it was not appropriate for them to do to know what they did, whoever did it. It was not appropriate. I should have been consulted about it and where to put it and... That's what should have happened. They just put it up one shot. That was the end of the story. And I was very upset about it. Six months ago. Five months ago. Yes, it wasn't there. One at a time. One time. Right, so we didn't have it for, for 18 years. We never had it. Because I chose not to put it up. What was not by accident? No, it was not an album either. No, it was lying around in the library. So it was done intentionally because somebody had a hang up about Leo Page or whatever else the case may have been I mean, it's just stupidity so I tell the person put it in your house tell your kids 50 times you don't matter get it, don't, don't, do what you want but there it's insulting as a representative of our synagogue and as, as, as a Jew it's insulting to other people converts come in and they see it or whatever and you're hurting them so this is a real halakha over here so I was and I should have been consulted to discuss it what was your point that we were going to discuss it well it didn't happen yet it's supposed to be discussed. He told me then, look, it's before the summer, we need it up now, let's revisit it in six months. Okay, six months, let's see what happens. Put it someplace else. I mean, put it in a hallway. Put it, you know, and anyway, tell the person, once, you know, who's seeing it? Your, your kids are going to see it. Yeah. Now it's just there. Now you can put it someplace else. If you want a cop, put it in the houses. I don't care. Why put it over there? Yeah, but I'd never do that. The notion of... Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. so prominent. That's my point. Put it someplace else. Put it. You put it on on the you know on the entrance way down there or something. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't have to be over here. I don't know. I was I was very upset about putting it up and 
Yet, okay, that's the story. So it should be revisited and it should be talked about. Of course, it's very emotional. I have very strong feelings about it. And people think that's where we're going to stop their kids. I mean, it's, people put it up. It's not even an issue for them. But that's where it went out of control. When people took over this Takana, they absolutized it. They're saying that these people who are Gideon are not even Jewish, which is nonsensical and foolish. So it is a serious issue. Let's finish this paragraph. So this man over here, of course, understood that a case and he understood that all the religions are stolen from us, stolen from us. And he attributes to Hashem things that are not so. This rabbi is destroying the foundations. And he's speaking overturned. Black is white, white is black. He's foolish, this man. And this Gain Tzedek understood all of this and he ran after Hashem and he went into the path of holiness and he ended up converting and again it's under the pain of death in the situation and he entered under the wings of the Shekhinah and he then he strode in the dirt of the feet of Moshe Rabbeinu the Chalazim of Tavim loved the commandments and his heart motivated him to come close the order order Hayim to live in the light of life and to raise himself to the levels of Malachim the Ma'alat Malachim to be so righteous and pious and holy Malachim the smokers are near the Sumhats the King to be happy to be joyous and the joy of the righteous people the Shlichalam Azim the Bori throughout the sword from his heart because he didn't care about all that he's losing to be a Gersedek he lost everything he didn't care and he didn't turn to all of the foolishness and all of the lies of the other religions. Somebody whose level is so high, you call him a fool? God forbid. Hashem did not call you a fool. Hashem called you a fool. It's a play on the word. Hashem called you a wise person. You will walk straightforwardly with integrity, with honesty. You're a student of Abraham Avino. Abraham, you're the same as Abraham. You left all of your forefathers in your house place, your birthplace, and you cleaved unto Hashem, returned to Hashem. And, who's your real teacher? Not this rabbi, but rather, Abraham. He who blessed Abraham, your teacher, and gave reward to Abraham Avinu, your real master, your real teacher, in this world and the next world, he shall bless you and shall give you your reward appropriately properly in this world and the next world, and shall give you many days. I shall you be able to teach the laws of God to all of his people, the Eskirot and you will merit to see in all of the comforts that are going to come to the Jewish people. We are told who and that goodness that shall come to the Jewish people shall come to you. Shall come to you. Because God will eventually bless the Jews who will give them goodness. And he signs it, of course, Moshe ben That's his letter. Interesting, of course, is that the letter was written after he passed away. It was published after Ramon passed away. Because it says, This happened post by Manadim. So Ramon didn't know this was going to be. Ramon didn't consult with that rabbi. Where are you coming from? Not at all. No. That's what the letter, the original letter said he said. So that's this letter. It's an extraordinary letter. It's, it's a famous letter. It's a very powerful letter. We will look a little bit at some of the halachot next week, just a, a bit, in the Chorus Rebi'ah, which talks about in Chod Girut, to see if this is really the Ram's opinion. It's three chapters in the Chorus Rebi'ah. 
which we could just glance at a few paragraphs to see is this really Ram's opinion and how to deal with Gedim. Here the Raman portrays Gedim as the height of all heights, the level of Kadosh, like a Malach. So that's a very powerful statement. Ruth, of course, is a good model for that. But she can't come to our shul. Don't start now. She's not, on, she's not allowed here. She's not allowed here, kids. By the way, by the way, neither David HaMelech can't come because his great-grandmother was a Ruth. And Mashiach too, don't start. No Aliyah. We don't want to be redeemed here. Exactly, that's the problem. So we'll come back to this next just a few halakhon and see if this corresponds to other laws of the Rambam. Where was the rabbi? Who was this? The rabbi who wrote the letter? Spain. And the Rambam of Israel. Thank you all. Thank you, thank you.